Hello and welcome to our podcast, On Your Marks. My name is Peter and I am the leader of St Mark's Church in Jersey, a growing, friendly Anglican church in the centre of St Helier. We want to take the Bible apart and see what's really in there, going beyond the face value to dig a little deeper into certain topics. We will bring you fresh content every week and hope you get a lot out of listening. So, if you're ready, let's go. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. Gosh, it's been so good to finally uh, sort of relaunch and get our first recording uh, done um, after our summer break. Um, Wherever you're listening to this from, I hope you had a good break. And uh, like me, I'm looking forward to getting back into the swing of things. So Ray and I sat down this week to record our first one of the new series. We're looking at the book of Titus. For those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, you'll know that sometimes uh, Ray takes a completely different take from uh, what we might have had in church. And this is one of those weeks as well. We ended up talking quite a lot about um, church leadership, church order, um, the different roles of bishop and priest and deacon, um, and so, yeah, it was an interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy it. It's certainly a good introduction to the letter. Let's go now to our conversation. Ray, it's been so long since I saw you. How are you? Um, I'm good, thank you. Yes. Are you? I, I, honestly, it feels, um, when I was driving here today, I, I was thinking, gosh, have I got the microphone? Have I got this? Uh, like it's, you know, when you get out of habit and routine of doing something. Yeah. <laughs> it's so lovely to be back with you. I'm. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to unpacking this. Titus, for any of you who were with us on Sunday, um, ha- has been a focal point of study for me over the summer, uh, which started on a, on a retreat I took in July. And um, I haven't studied Titus like this um, for about 10 years. And so really interesting to get back into a really powerful and pungent, punchy um, letter so, you know, and as I said on Sunday, we are focusing on Titus over the next three weeks, um, a chapter each week, um, and then I'll be coming and unpacking it even further with Ray um, and putting it on the podcast. So hopefully by the end of the next three weeks, we can all have a much a bigger understanding, a deeper understanding of, of what this letter entails and, you know, maybe how God might be trying to speak to us today through it. So... Anyway, I'm going to read, um, as, we, as we always do, um, I'm going to read uh, the chapter. Um, and just so you know, I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, and then we will go over to Ray to get his take and we'll have some, some dialogue around it. So, Titus chapter 1, um, all the way through. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Saviour, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town, 
as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciousness are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So, Ray, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, indeed. It's, I'm, I mean, I, I sort of rather love this because it um, shows you... Paul, in all his um, directness, shall mm. we say, in tackling an issue in a church which was, it seems, had the whole range of attitude from the attachment to the old ways and those who went the new way, which was great. But um, it's a fascinating section, isn't it? It really is. Hmm. What do we? Where do we start? Let's. Do you start? I mean, the beginning with credentials. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it just. You you get a picture, of, somebody here who, is um, clearly, in a strong position, in his calling. He was f absolutely firm of the call that God had placed on yeah, him, wasn't he? Absolutely. No, no question about it. And, and he needed that. He needed that in an adverse situation in a church that... I, I mean, if you were, as I have been over the decades, in a position of trying to hear God about a calling to a particular church... Um, there are certain things you want to see happening there. Um, and it seems that dear old Titus was given a very mixed bag mm. in, um, in the calling that he had to go to the church um, in here, that it really was. Um, the, the Cretans became a byword, didn't they, really, for yeah. um, those who... Uh, 
wandered off in some extraordinary ways. They really were. We'll come on to that. But history tells us that the Cretan church over the next few hundred years flourished. Yeah. You know, and so this letter and Titus' ministry had impact. Yeah, he got he he must have got it right. Yeah. So he he must have been enabled to deal with the challenging situation. So he didn't dismiss his calling because it was challenging. Um, he accepted it. He must have gone in with open eyes because made abundantly clear um, yeah. where they were. There's kind of a lesson straight away in that for us. I'm thinking, you know, as we're talking about in verse 3 in that beginning, hmm. you know, with which I, um, uh, in which I've been entrusted by the command of God our Saviour. Paul is holding firm to his calling. Titus did the same. Yep. And so we need to also try and work out what God's calling us to do yep. and hold firm to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that is a fundamental for following God's purpose in your ministry, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. I find the next bit, Ray, quite tricky. What's that? The qualifications for elders, you know, and church leaders. So I I immediately think about myself and I see ways in which I fall short and I was was pretty... um, Pretty um, hit by this actually as I was preparing. Um, yeah, well, bear in mind this um, Titus, along with Timothy one and two, um, are called the pastoral epistles, um, not um, wisely so, and they deal with issues such as the qualifications for those who are called to ministry, and. Paul's concern is that those who minister should be effective and should be people of God who follow God's way. Um, so he's making sure mm. that things are right yeah. for the potential leaders. Do you think, that I, maybe I'm reading something into this, but the, the qualifications of a leader start with character and then they move on to teaching and so they're saying uh you know hospitable i'm I'm in verse eight now hospitable lover of good etc etc and then verse nine hold firm to the trustworthy word and so it's almost character is first and foremost followed by holding firm to the word or sound doctrine or do are they mutually i i mean i think they're equally important um but that he deals with one first has perhaps some significance and um, it's it's not unreasonable that he deals with that and he with, with Timothy he deals with various groups in a similar way that he speaks to them uh, in, in such a way as to challenge them in the quality of their life and their following of Christ mm-hmm. and um, here he's specifically referring to the elders isn't he yeah. Or my translation has for an overseer. Mm. Um, yes. Which we might translate bishop, I think. Right. Or not. Depends yeah. where you are. Yeah, those lines get a bit blurred sometimes, don't they? Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting that um, there isn't actually, it seems to me, a clear 
one single pattern for church leadership in the New Testament. No. Um, it seems to be slightly varied. Because uh, the word presbyter yeah. in the book of Acts changes in its use oh, yeah. uh, from church leader to then overseer of a group of churches, for Correct. example. So then, then there's a question here about pastoral issues. You know, yep. So an overseer within the local church, who is the overseer? So who do these qualifications pertain to? Now, of course, as we can read in Peter, in 1 Peter, you know, we're all in the, uh, you know, the, the priesthood, aren't we? We are we're priesthood of all believers. Yeah. Yes. But who, who do we try to hold these particular things to? Right. Um, and my, because it starts in verse 7 with overseer, I think you've got to say it is specifically directed towards those who have a ministry of leadership in the local church. Yeah. Um, that sounds a bit vague, but I think that's possibly as far as we want to go. Mm. Um in other words, if you are called out to specific leadership, then you have a particular responsibility. Now, that doesn't mean to say that the rest of the church are free to go and live as they want. Um, that's not what it's saying. It's simply saying that there are additional responsibilities on the shoulders of those who offer to lead. Mm. That's right, because I'm just seeing here on, on one of my notes, this word overseer is actually the Greek episkopos, yeah. which is, which is where, where we get the word bishop from. Bishop. However, I, I'm trying to remember now, in Timothy, they have two two sections. Yep. They have overseer, and then they have deacon. A deacon must be. De deacon has to do with service and supporting ministry. Yeah. Um, Overseer or um, presbyter have to do with leadership. So, would you say that somebody who I, I know we're going slightly off on a tangent here, somebody who holds a, a a measure of authority within the church almost fills a deacon role? So, if someone's a post holder in a church, you know, let's say a church warden or an elder or something of that. I think the first deacons were in Jerusalem, weren't they? The, yeah. The, the group of seven. Yes. Um, uh, they were called to organise the local church in a proper way. Yeah. Um, because things were going wrong. Um, some, I think, wrongly suggest that's to do with serving at table. It's not necessarily, mm. although maybe they did that as well. Um, but they were those who cared for the practical yeah. running of the local church. Um, so that the deacon generally um, is doing that sort of role. Um, however, certain of the deacons later on, I mean, Philip doing evangelistic preaching, yes, seeing miracles and all the rest of it, they... They, they developed in their ministries. Yeah. They didn't remain static. Yes, that's interesting. interesting so so um, should a deacon be a deacon and left at that? 
or should we sometimes expect the deacon to move on to have a wider ministry and a more, a more effective one in mm. some ways? Um, not saying one is better than the other, but that has more of an impact. Yeah. Um, so. Okay, that's an interesting side note. Maybe something to unpack yeah. in the future, because obviously the Church of England has um, has deacons, but they've kind of incorporated it into a sort of a progression but maybe that's, that's yeah I think the sad thing is with the with the, our system is that the deacon simply becomes a one year training yeah bit um, doesn't have any people can't stay a deacon no and see that as a role which could be for years which, and years uh, yeah and now we're getting into an area of church order and yeah, uh, exactly so <laughs> But I mean, it's it's here anyway. So yeah. Some of it. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. So then then it moves on, doesn't it, to yes. um, how to deal with um, people who are being disruptive and who are break, break breaking apart uh, families or causing disruption in families. It says yep. ups, they are upsetting whole families. Yeah, and it's pretty strong the language, isn't mm. it? Really, in terms of its assessment of the quality of life that he's dealing with. And when it speaks of Cretans are are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. A bit harsh, but um, presumably it was true or he wouldn't get away with it. Yeah, and said of, quoted his own uh, Cretan Epimenides, uh, the the prophet uh, or poet. and you, are you right? You know they they call them insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, and then rebuke them sharply, silence them. Yep. And in strict and direct contrast to the qualities that there ought to be in the lives of the leaders, the leaders would have stood out as evident when you look at the description here mm. and their attitude, life, belief and so on by comparison with the potential members who lived amongst the Cretans. Mm. It was quite funny on on Sunday where um, the preacher was using a quotation um, as... And it, by way of illustration, um, from the ordination service. Mm. And it was actually part of the charge of the bishop. Um, and his charge had to do with the awesomeness of the charge to go and search for and win those sheep who had gone astray. Mm. And... Um, it was very challenging. It's something I read most years at some point um, again. That it it's good to be reminded of the in, immensity of the calling that you have under God, and something that I still count as very important. Because mm, that's actually one of the main differences between um, in the, in the ordinal. Um, the call for on a deacon uh, against the call for a 
the priest. It's to go out and find the lost in the hidden corners of the world. Yep. And yep. so, but, but then, I, yeah, we're, we're slipping back into this conversation, but I like the fact that, you know, a bishop would would say that he's a deacon first. He, you know, he or she is a deacon first and then became a, a, a presbyter and then... Yeah, you know, if, yeah. if you make that distinction, um, which not everybody does, so yeah. that, which is fine. Um, I don't get worked up about that. Do you think, because a lot of this... I can obviously relate to a lot of this because you know serving in eldership in a, in, a, in a leadership role in a church, but what what could somebody who's not in a um, in that position at the moment take from this chapter? Yeah. The leadership of the church will generally emerge from within the church, and this helps the church member. To identify those who are called of God to that role. And it becomes the list of qualifications, if you like. Yeah. This is what we look for in a leader. Sadly, we sometimes get something very different. And if we get the role wrong, and get the attitude wrong, we'll get the lives wrong, and we get a mess at the end of it um, and this is what is happening sometimes um, with leaders who become too prominent yeah in the life of the church and who go off the rails yeah yeah and it's sad but it's it's what happens if you don't stick to god's calling god's priorities and god's challenge it's it's there. There's a this this is a hard one. This in verse nine. Mm-hmm. Just thinking in this day and age, at the end of it, it said, you know, to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now that is what a challenge today. Um, you know, to to cause conflict. You know, one one could argue. Uh, you know, this is causing conflict because, but actually, no, it's to ensure that sound doctrine is maintained. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this day and age where everyone is entitled to their own view and we have all measures of um, variations in church and everything like this, mm-hmm. for a leader to to have the courage to rebuke those who contradict it. Yep. And, but that was part of the call. Yeah. He must... I mean, look at the strength of this. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and and also to rebuke those who can contradict it. Absolutely. And this is something that is so vital in today. In in this wibbly-wobbly... church life that we see around us at the moment Mm. where people just don't have any such convictions it seems yeah well that's a sweeping statement (laughs) but um yeah there is that tendency Mm. anyway the trouble is i think in the past maybe some have taken it to the other extreme and not dealt lovingly because in all things love but to rebuke those who contradict 
sorry, then later on it says, so that they may walk. Where does it say that? I forgot. Yes. Uh, so rebuke, this is in verse 13. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not yeah. devoting themselves to Jewish myths and, and the commands of people. Yeah. So it's in love yeah. that we rebuke. So that you help people to come to maturity of faith. To not waste their time yeah. On, yeah. on Jewish myths. Or today, we could say, on the, the many other distractions and things that mm. people devote their time to, thinking that this is important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the circumcision party, because um, I'm just trying to make, I'm just trying to relate it. The circumcision party were the, um, the Jewish converts to Christianity who were trying to rem- keep those kind of old acts going. Correct. Yeah. In order to earn salvation, yeah. which deviates from Christ's free act. grace and it contradicts it. And so today we don't have that same, uh, those same urges, but there are other things which can crop up in church. People may start counting or thinking that the things they do, the works they do, earn them salvation yeah. rather than... The... Yeah. yeah. Or many things can replace grace alone. Grace alone, yeah. And um, that is where our priority lies. Um, as you're talking, we did a, we did a, um, a podcast months ago now, maybe it was the fifth or sixth one, all about righteousness hmm. and um, justification. Yeah. And we sort of we were really unpacking those two words and what they meant. It could be yeah. good to look back um, yeah. for anyone who wants to um, sort of really understand that. Grace alone, through Christ alone, we are... We are saved. And everything else is an outworking. Yeah, absolutely. A response. Absolutely. Okay, so to nail it down um, to a a takeaway message, Mm. what do you think? I think have the humility to listen, the grace to obey, and the willingness to grow is, is what's woven into this. That we hear the condemnation but the longing in the heart of the servant of God Timothy is not sort of on some high ground ranting Mm. he is on the level with us calling calling people yes using strong language but calling them to look to God's way and not their preconceived ideas Mm. Um, so important yeah Brilliant. Ray, thank you so much for your time this no week. Problem. And uh, yeah, see you next week. Indeed. We do hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share with your friends on social media. And please do get in touch with any suggestions or comments you may have. Thanks for listening and see you next time.